one of my big mantras for years has been don't fall in love with your ideas because eventually, you know, you're going to throw them away. And I've worked with people who their ideas are brilliant because they came up with them and they fight for them to the death. And I'm like, you know, ideas are cheap, right? Throw them away. Let's agree that we're going to focus on what works and define what working looks like. And that, that I think is empowering, but it takes a little while to get people on board with that because they're, you know, people are, you know, enlightened self-interest. I, but I built this, I, I'm proud of it, right? Welcome back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks, and on today's episode, I had the pleasure to get to talk with Brian House. Brian is with Elastic Path, and he is the Chief Experience Officer, where he gets to lead the UX, product management, enablement, global services, and customer success teams. And you might think, that's a lot of oversight. But I think you're going to find in this conversation, he has this incredible ability to connect not only the product-led growth, which is where we're really focusing on making sure that we're building a product that's going to lead to customer success, but also how do you connect that to customer success? So connecting product management and customer success closer to the end user, the problems you're solving for them, the products you're creating for them. So this is a fantastic conversation. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. And, and one thing I want you to hear very quickly is that he gives his users a name. So just listen for that as you get into this episode, but let's jump right in. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'd love to throw it straight over to you. Why don't you give a quick introduction to yourself and uh, let the people know who you are? Great. Thanks, George. Great to be here. So uh, Brian House, I'm the Chief Experience Officer at Elastic Path. Elastic Path is a composable com e-commerce software company. Um, and so my background, I'm a, I'm a longtime product guy in a previous life. I brewed beer for a living professionally. And so everything I've learned about product, I learned actually out on the brewery floor doing beer tours and leading beer dinners and evangelizing craft beer at a time when everybody really wanted light beers and from Coors or Bud Light or whatever. Um, but you know, I've spent my time I came up as a product marketer and product management uh, leader, um, actually spent some time in sales and have developed an interesting point of view on the market around sales and customer success as it ties tightly into product. And so, you know, in my role now at Elastic Path, I own product and user experience, product management, user experience, but I also own customer success and global services. So really mm -hmm. it's the entire uh, life cycle of a customer once they sign their first contract sort of falls under my purview. Now that's a little bit unique because uh, mm -hmm. those are usually, sometimes those are divided roles or sometimes even companies kind of forget about some of those roles. Tell me a little bit about what that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. So what is, what are the teams that you're working with? How does that shape out um, across? Sure. The sure. I mean, you know, it's, it was interesting when I, you know, when I came into Elastic Path, we very much had a culture of, you know, customers were this sort of walled garden that people weren't allowed to speak to. We, you know, I was interviewing for the job, but we just sort of discussed it as this ghost in the machine, which was seemed so counterintuitive for a good product leader because you want to get validation and feedback all the time on both the things you're building, but the things you're planning to build. And so, you know, but what I came in and realized culturally was, um, we had 
you know, we had focused on hiring experts in the functional areas that our products delivered around e-commerce. And so a lot of it was, there's a fair amount of hubris in there. It was like, oh, well, we don't really need to talk to customers. I did this for 15 years. I know uh, what, yeah. you know, and, and so, so on a day-to-day basis, what we've done is, is, is we've got a whole new set of product managers who work very closely with the customer success managers and the customer success team. And because, you know, one of the big insights that I had and I've proven here is once a customer signs up for your product, they only want to talk to one person. And it's typically the product manager. They want to know what's coming, what's on the roadmap, how do they have input, you know, how do they have feedback on the UX? Um, and so we facilitate that and, and bring in, you know, have built strong relationships by constantly bringing in product managers, you know, because it becomes a great mechanism to have a customer share where their strategy is, what their important business objectives, what are the challenges they're facing? Um, because, you know, our give and that sort of give to get relationship is, hey, well, let's bring in the product people who understand those business problems and how we could potentially be a solution for that. Um, so that's actually been great from a, you know, day to day at the front lines relationship for, for the customer success managers. And it's actually great for the product managers because they are having so many more conversations with customers. Um, and they, they get to flex their sort of subject matter expert muscles, if you will, um, uh, in front of customers. So it's, it's personally validating. It's great for the products they're designing. And, but then more on a sort of a process level, what we do is, is we have a weekly initiatives review of all of the in-flight development projects mm-hmm. across all our different development squads. And every one of those deliverables is marked, if there's a customer waiting on it, their name is sitting in it, right? And it could be a prospect or a customer. So we're tracking deliverables based on that feedback that's happening at the front lines. And so that makes a lot more of the, prioritization and decision-making processes a lot easier when you can attach a name of a customer, an account, name of a person to it. You know, it's Mike at such and such account. It's it's Joanne at such and such account. That changes the dynamics because, you know, rather than, you know, hey, it's a thing we need to do because I think it's interesting. I absolutely love this because, um, I mean, the, our industry talks a lot about personas and like you create totally. these kind of fake character that is uh, a personification of of who you think might be the customer. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're completely off. You just make up your own thing to justify the means of the thing you want to make, sure, uh, which is what you're getting at. But I love that you're tying it to a real name, a real face. Um You know, I think one of the things that we hear a lot about when we're talking to the teams or p- people that are shaping teams is what motivates an individual on a team. And most Mm -hmm. of us want to do good work. Most of us want to build great products for people that will actually change their lives or bring value to their daily activities. But when you tie it to a name, you can actually say, this is the person's life that we're making better. That is fantastic. Yeah, we were even having a discussion today about one of our customers is, uh, they have a big franchise network of dealers that sell their products on, on their behalf that rep their products in, in the market. And, and, you know, we went and, and did an on-site with them about a year ago in the fall. And we introduced a whole new set of capabilities that they really weren't um, using. And at the time they told us like, Oh, you know, we're not going to, we're not ready to take it out to our dealer network yet. Um, 
Well, now a year later, they built a whole set of capabilities specifically designed on those features that we introduced to them. It wasn't a selling call. It was like, hey, these are things you could take advantage of. Let's talk about your strategic priorities, where you're going. Then they went and took that and built a whole set of capabilities for the, this dealer network to enable them to improve their experience on their on the ordering experience for their customers. Um, right. So it's it's a little bit of earning the credibility so that way you can plant seeds that then germinate in the customer's mind. And, and but then I bring this up because it was, oh, Andrew at the customer built all this for them after we left. Right. And so it really wasn't about even the account. It was about Andrew and making Andrew successful, which, you know, I think you and I both know as a product manager, you know, we win when we we help people further their career when they get promoted, right? Like it, it really is at that sort of tactical level on an individual basis. Um, so, you know, it's amazing how much that permeates our discussions and conversations internally. It's funny. I mean, that's, you, you go back to it. I always say to our team, we have three responsibilities. One is either to make a company money, to save a company money, or to get somebody a raise. Right. Yes, and, exactly. Or a promotion or something. You know, it's effectively like it comes down to an individual who is motivated to continue to buy your product or use your service. And they're doing that because it makes them look good or it brings value to them or it, it makes their company grow. And usually they have to show that by saving the money, company money, or making the company money. So exactly, yeah. exactly. Or opening new channels or something that right. moves the business needle for sure. Right. Yeah. In, in the same, the same uh, discussion, it was, uh, the woman we met with, who's our direct customer, our business stakeholder, her name's Rebecca. And she's like, oh, yeah, I don't have a merchandiser. And then the other discussion this morning was, yeah, Rebecca just hired a merchandiser, right? So, like, you know, it's you're helping them achieve their personal and professional goals, utilizing your technology. Obviously, you're driving their business as a result of that utilization, too. Well, let's pivot a little bit because I think we we went sure. straight into nerding out about how our teams do, do the work, the process. And, and I think that's the stories behind it. But so people understand what is Elastic Path focused on? What is what is the space that you serve so that we can understand the context in which you're working? Yep. So Elastic Path is the only composable commerce platform that allows commerce leaders to innovate on their terms. So what that means is, is the commerce market to build a digital commerce store you know, requires so many technologies at this point. And, and this is a classic uh, we're in a classic sort of moment that most software markets have gone through where, you know, you'd hire a big company like an Oracle, they'd build a monolithic system and they'd, they'd be responsible for delivering all the capabilities. And they do three or four things really well. And most of those capabilities, the other 50 things they need to do, they do mediocre at best. And, and so then, you know, as a application developer and application owner, you're like, I need better search. I need better loyalty. I need better whatever, shipping, taxes, fulfillment, whatever it is. And so you go and start breaking those things off. And so, you know, obviously, or, you know, one of the things that's clearly happened in the market is microservices architectures have enabled folks to get better at um, assembling applications mm -hmm. and taking advantage of the fact that feature sets in a complicated application set like digital commerce have become increasingly commoditized, mm -hmm. right? So there, there's, there are four or five companies for every set of features that are required in a commerce app. So, so what we do is we specialize in a few things that we do exceptionally well, particularly about modernizing catalogs and how people use catalogs to merchandise their products without requiring a ton of custom development work. 
But then the second piece is around the connectivity and sort of the composability. So we've created a what we call a commerce intelligent iPaaS or integration platform as a service that enables you to connect very easily to um, integrations, right? So that manifests itself in a couple of ways. One, we have a marketplace and you can mm -hmm. get our pre-built connectors for a bunch of things and just you know very easily put in keys and you're off and running there connected. But two, we have a builder service that enables you to build your own, right? Because it doesn't matter how many things I have in my marketplace, you'll always have one or N number that you we don't offer. You can build your own using the same tool we do. Um, and then where that gets really interesting is one of the challenges in composable commerce is the application risk shifts from the vendor who delivered all the capabilities now to the application owner who now has to assemble all these different components together. So we've built a monitor service in our composer iPass, which enables you to monitor all the integrations that you've built. Are they performing the way they want? You have log files, event tracking, all of this. So now you can see across a heterogeneous architecture to say, is, are all the pieces performing the way I expect them to deliver the commerce experience on the front end? So that's when we talk about, your, you know, give you the ability to innovate on your own terms and control that experience. So, so you know, we're very bullish on this. You know, this is an application development trend that's happened elsewhere in the market. So mm -hmm. I don't have to sell people on composable. It's how do we bring it and make it accessible in the commerce space. Um, is really what's interesting where we're focused today. Who's your, I'm kind of curious because um, it's it's both a uh, a business tool and a kind of development platform. Who ends up Absolutely. your common uh, purchaser, your buyer? Who's the ones that comes out looking for you? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question and it's, it's a somewhat uh, complicated process. So typically there's a business initiative that triggers someone to say, I have a problem to solve. Mm -hmm. And then given the nature of sort of API first microservice-based platforms, they ask their developer to go see what are the solutions out there. So the, and then the developer brings back a set of options back to that business stakeholder to make the decision. So, um, you know, we, we develop product for the day-to-day -day user who's often a merchandiser who's working in a store admin that's building promotions and, you know, product combinations and bundles and things like that. But, the you know the core uh, critical stakeholder in the evaluation and in the development process is clearly a developer. So, as part of a we've we've been, we've built a product led sales initiative. Um, and one of the first hires we made in that was a developer advocate, because we have to get the developers on side to under help them understand what's possible with our technology. So that way they can deliver solutions to their business buyer. Yeah. Cause the risk that you have there is that, uh, the, the, the business buyer is, is saying, cool, I like this. Cool. It looks neat. And then it gets to develop and they're like, what did you just force me to use? Or why do why am I here? Um, which is, we always try to close that gap as quickly as possible, but uh, that's good. You have, and that is every company has a buyer group, right? And that is your buyer group. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes we would have the alternate problem where uh, the developers would fall in love with it. And then, and this is actually a, a big change that I drove when I got here is, um, you know, I got here, we were API first, which meant that like UI and user experience were an afterthought. Oh, sure. And so I've actually built a whole, uh, a large UX team to say, just because developers are the ones that implement this, business users are still operating this day in and day out, and user experience is a critical piece of that. So we used to win on developers, then lose on the business demo <laughs> in the early days. They're yeah. like, you're not going to make me use this all day, are you? <laughs> 
<laughs> which again goes back to, I mean, you're speaking my language because as a UX design firm, effectively, uh, we that's that's what we're all con- constantly talking about. And the reality is, is developers are humans too, right? They have, they're, totally. they're interfacing with these applications and while they might be able to take it to another level, you know, UX is important across the, the spectrum. Well, you know, and this is a thing that I've, I've preached a lot to my teams is the, you know, postman sort of command line experiences, user experience. Well, it's just a different user persona. Right. And so, so it's, it's thinking about the, the jobs to be done and the problems to be solved for both developer personas and business personas is a critical piece of this, especially in the commerce space, given the sort of complex nature of commerce applications. Yeah, absolutely. Fascinating. Okay. So I want to go back then to the way that you think about kind of the dual roles or the ways that you set up your teams to effectively deliver on those promises, right? Because Mm -hmm. you not only have different buyers, but you have different user groups in that as well. Uh, And then of course, when you're as a, as an iPass, I mean, you've got a number of integrations. So I'm curious how you shape your teams. This is a a topic that comes up on a, a pretty regular basis around how people think about now, whether you work in a squad model or a department model or, or et cetera, how do you shape your team teams around feature development, around uh, delivery model, around, I mean, what's, what's your way of approaching who focuses on what? Sure. So, so we have a squad model um, and what, you know, one of the big changes we've made in the last year um, is is really hammering home that the there's sort of three partners at the leadership of each of the squads: the product manager, the user experience lead, and the technical lead. Right. Um, and 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 you know one of the things that happened is based mostly on seniority. Is we would have the product manager and the engineering lead for the squad would be in the leads meeting, and the UX person was never invited to it. And so, and you're like, hey, but we keep talking about the value of UX. So we did a, we had a, a R&D leads offsite in February. And this was one of the big topics is the UX has to be a first class citizen in our decision making processes. So, you know, what that, one of the ways that manifests itself on a day to day basis from like activities the teams do is, is we have a four step development process, concept, validation, build and deploy. And the role of UX during concept and validation is so important um, because it's the the trap that we fall into when we when we when we fall out of our own process is we just go build a bunch of APIs without thinking about the user experience and then we're like hey we forgot to do pagination or some like obvious thing because we weren't thinking about the user journey so that's really put a lot of emphasis now on user the user experience leading the concept phase. You know the require the the product managers driving requirements and understanding market needs and what are the problems to be solved. But the, the a much crisper definition of the journey we expect it, a user to take through this is, you know, before we write any do anything on APIs, um, is a, such an critical piece of the, in this. And 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 honestly, myself and my counterpart, who's the CTO, he and I are hammering this home on all of our new initiatives because it's. We've we've learned, you know, I have the battle scars to show like, hey, don't worry, we got more engineers and designers, we can just build start building some APIs. And then you're like, yeah, but none of this, none of this works the way we anticipate. It's not what we envision. Right. You know, and more, maybe more often than not, what it does is we surface all the complexity that's at the API level. Yeah. 
right into the user experience because the you know the APIs work in a specific way. They have to be fired sequentially. They behave and you know, but the UI is just not presenting that to the user and be like, hope you can figure it out. The, the user experience should be how to obfuscate all that complexity of the API and say, what's the job you're trying to do? How do I help you do that without you know, blinding you with complexity at every turn? I'm curious. I love this this model. One of the squad model, which is I think what we preach pretty often, is you know work in small cross functional teams, which is effectively what you've created. Um, we we yep. we have the exact same thing. And then of course you might have subgroups within that. So engineering might represent sure. development, API, testing, etc. Uh, design exactly. can be both visual and user experience, etc. And that that's I love how you um, kind of have that seniority. Uh, triad that really, mm-hmm. really comes to the table representing each of those roles, which I think is super, super important. I'm curious. I love this this kind of funnel that you take people through. There, so I want to make sure I have that right. Concept validation, development, and deploy. Right. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. is the customer? Going back to what we first started talking about, when you have you know Tom, the the marketing buyer, or whatever. Where's the customer involved in that that journey of giving you those feedback loops? How do you make those feedback loops tight all the way through that journey? Sure. No. So, so, you know, really as early as possible. So like we're building a new service right now for subscriptions. Um, you know, as I mentioned, one of our unique differentiators is around the catalog. And and so catalog and commerce tend to be products at one-time purchases. And there aren't any systems. If you're a company that sells a product with a service contract, as an example, yep. you typically end up have you use the commerce system catalog for the product, and then you go buy a Zora or mm-hmm. some subscription third-party product to do you know that. So I think that's crazy. So you know we think both of those can be served, and we have a payments product as well, so we can handle all the recurring billing associated with subscriptions. So like, hey, subscriptions is a natural extension of our catalog. At the, so as we started to get into the concept phase, the que- first thing we did is we had you know a dozen customers who were doing things already with subscriptions with third-party tools or had expressed some interest. So before we even defined what our concept was, we went and had customer interviews at that phase and said, okay, we need to understand what is it you need? What, what, are, what are you trying to do? What would you do with a subscription? What are you doing today? Um, and then... And that informed, I'm a big believer in the sort of Amazon six pager yes, process yes. and sort of written narrative for products is it just, it, it forces so much more rigor in your thinking. Um, and so we wrote six pagers. And then what we've done is actually in, in concept and validation is we've created customer consumable versions of those six pagers. We'll share them out. We'll, um, to see if we're aligned what we're thinking of building is aligned with what they need to validate the solution to the problems they're trying to solve. Um, and then, you know, in that, as we're moving through validation, we will then start to create either Figma prototypes or PowerPoint prototypes. And we'll actually have gone out and actually um, share those with walk customers through those as well. Say, Hey, you, you know, you're, you're aligned with phase one. So subscriptions, the first phase is uh, subscribe and save. Right, and then you get into curated boxes, and then you get into configurable uh, boxes. Um, and so we're like, hey, you're a subscribe and save customer. Here's what we think subscribe and save looks like from a user experience perspective, and validate that. Right, and so the nice thing is, is given we have a, a customer base, we can go do all of that earlier, well before we write any lines of code, but really before we even get the engineers thinking about sizing and 
in, in figuring out how to solve some of the technical challenges because so much time and energy is wasted on solving problems that aren't don't exist for the customer and the first few customers you use, right? Those are great phase three, phase four problems to solve. Um, they don't need to be a phase one problem. What we need to do, you know, and I philosophically, I came in and was a big proponent of, you know, ship early and often, right? You know, and, and the, the product manager's downside risk in that scenario is I'm going to ship a bunch of, you know, V.7 features and we're never going to get back to them. I'm like, you're the product manager. You're the, you own the prioritization of this. You could take it from 0.7 to 3.0 in on the timeline that you define. It's your, you own prioritization, but don't wait to get till it's perfect um, to ship it. So, and so part of this valid, you know, early customer involvement and concept and validation sort of mitigates that risk of future embarrassment once we build it, right? Because you've, you know, they've told you what they want, you know, and, and this is a, a product that we're excited about it's coming here in the next couple of months that we've already got customers are like, hey, I'm ready to use it. I'm not going to go proceed in direction A because I know you're shipping this and, and you know, in a, on a timeline that makes sense for our business, we're just going to wait for that and deliver that. So that's, you know, that's an ideal scenario because you've got customers that are going to take it as soon as it's ready. Which effectively leads to sales, right? So we could come back to like, for mm -hmm. your company, this is really important because it might mean, yes, of course you're building a better product and that's, that's motivating the product teams themselves, but inevitably you're, you're trying to make business influences as well. And so we talk about... I'm in the business, you know, my role now in, inside the company is a lot more on the, the front side of the business, building relationships that are about yep. being at the right time at the right place so that when someone's ready to spend the money, we're who they think of. But what you're doing is you're, you're literally getting so in front of them all the time that it is, don't spend the money anywhere else. We are the solution. Just give us a second. And they're willing, most people are willing to wait or it, there, you basically became the right time at the right place with the person who's ready to spend the money because you've brought them along that journey. Yeah, totally. And, and, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, they're, you know, we're lucky in, in a number of these scenarios where this is where the role of customer success comes in. We understand where their strategic initiatives are. So like we have to be authentic and say, Hey, you know, you need this in the next two months. I can't deliver for six months. Don't wait for us yeah. versus, hey, you know, your your timeline is X, right? We're on X as well. We I've got a solution for you. I can push harder here, right? And and that's, I think that's where the intersection of these two teams becomes so valuable. But, you know, authenticity and credibility are the thing that you protect because at the end of the day, the CS no CS person I've done this is push the product that's not quite ready to solve the problem. And then you blow up the account because you're, you know, you're overselling what's possible. That's you know, never a good thing. I think that, that what's, what's nice about this process is the CS person is incentivized to protect their credibility in the account and protect the customer success in the account because they're taking a long-term review. And I think this is where recurring revenue subscription-based businesses the alignment between them and product is so important here because you're not, you know, you haven't already claimed victory by taking your perpetual license. You got to earn your seat at the table every day. So you're not going to introduce um, risk into your own account. Right. 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 And, but at the same time, because you understand your customer's objectives, because you're having QBRs and steering committee meetings, you understand where they're going. You can align with our product development timeline with the customers, you know, functional in business ob objectives 
Um, and then when that lines up great, then we can be on the same path and we can go solve their problem. Um, and that, you know, and that, that ends up being a really nice virtuous cycle. You earn the amount of credibility you earn in the account for doing that, um, is just enormous and, you know, pays, reaps huge benefits for both the customer and for us. Well, it makes me think of Reed Hoffman's definition of trust, right? Is consistency over time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what you're offering them is, Hey, we're consistently going to be delivering you value because we know where you're at. And this is going to be something that can this is what you can expect from us. That's that credibility. That's super smart. Okay. So I'm curious, it sounds like you've made so many of the right moves in, in refinements as an organization to, to get, you know, get to this flywheel of being able to provide this service and this, this offering. I'm curious where, where are things is there where it's gone wrong, or maybe it's, it's been challenging that it hasn't, you've tried something, you've experimented with it a, a direction and it didn't go the way you planned. What's, where are areas that you you feel like, man, we learned a lot through that experience. Sure. I think, you know, one of the things that, that I've spent a lot of time on over the last year and a half um, that has been a, an enormous learning experience is around sort of this idea of PLG mm-hmm. um, in this space. And so, you know, we've talked about how complex the commerce application market is, as well as the sort of multiple uh, personas and the buyer uh, stakeholder group. And but at the you know fundamentally I believe and I and I ask this all the time in front of developer audiences who are such an important stakeholder for us like how many of you filled out a contact us form and scheduled a meeting with a salesperson to try a new technology no one has ever once raised their hand right because of course they don't they go and they look for the free trial they want to try it and they you earn the product has to earn the right for me to talk to a salesperson and so um, and one of the reasons I came to Elastic Path is given i think architecturally we have the right um we have the right product foundation to successfully do plg um but you know so that so we've so we've embarked on this journey and 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 for and it wasn't in any way to replace sales or but it, it really is to redefine enterprise b2b sale selling in the commerce space um and make the product work harder in that process um and and so you know we had we did a lot of market research around what good looked like um and and developed a bunch of hypotheses i think one of the things that that when we initially started we we said to ourselves our product is complex we would do pocs like sales-led pocs and we drop you in a, a prospect into the product and they would struggle a little bit it's just a lot commerce is just a big application space it's it's hard to grok all the things. And so what we said is like, we can't just drop you in and hope you figure it out. This has to be an assist, a journey of assisted self-discovery. And we had to decide, you know, make some bets on what you're going to do first. And so what we found look, reviewing all our POCs is the first thing everybody did was try to get products into their store because they wanted to see their products in there. And so we built this whole interactive learning experience to show you how to do it. And it was it's actually really cool. It's a great sort of, it's become the foundation of our documentation site where there's little uh, windows inside of it where there's JavaScript and you can you can type in and edit the code and then it actually changes a, a, an embedded web page in there. And so they're a little storefront. You're speaking their but language, was that's same. fantastic. Exactly. The thought was, is we would we would take you through the exercise of showing you how to create a product and then we would put you in a store and then you could do it yourself because we've walked you through all the steps. 
But of course, at the top of the page was start a free trial. So of course, everyone just skipped to the end and would start a free trial and went right into the experience and, and skipped all the learning. Oh. And so, and it, and it, it just goes to, sh- you know, it, it was well-intentioned, but in effect, we've thrown all of that away and we've, we've now it gets you in as fast in there. And then within the product itself, how do I teach you how to, those same lessons, but without not sort of, while withholding the product, if you will. Um, so that was, it's been an interesting way to figure. And then the bigger thing is, is how do you then drive, what does conversion look like from a user journey in a free trial to get them to eventually pay into paid? Um, all of this has been figuring out where either friction points or non-value add steps in your sort of hypothesis mm-hmm. development are so that you get them right to the things. And so we made huge strides um, um, in that and getting them quicker to value and quicker to like add a product, add pricing, put it on a front end, see see that product in the, in the real world, um, right? And engage, we built a Slack community around it, engage, ask questions in the Slack community, right? Like those kinds of things. Um, but it's definitely been a lot of, um, it's a classic example of lots of hypotheses based on opinions mm-hmm. um, that you're like, so now we just say like, well, great, what's the data tell us? And if it's wrong, we throw it away. So good. I mean, that's fine. I, I, you were, man, there, it's interesting. We talk, I always talk about the difference between the archetype and reality, right? Um, yeah, and, yeah. and I think what you're, you're defining is the intentional work to move to, as close to the archetype as possible. Which is this, I mean, like yep. a lot of what you're doing is um, what many of us have been preaching for a long time, but it is inc- incredibly difficult to do because it takes this level of discipline and intentionality to say, no, this is the principle that we live by. This is the purpose of how we are going to better build a product that grows a more successful and flourishing organization, uh, which I think is really impressive. Uh, hard to do, very difficult to do. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, at the heart of it, you're asking people to do work that in all likelihood gets thrown right. away or 60% gets thrown away, right? And, and the lessons, the learning's valuable, but you know, people are proud of their work. And so, so a big part of building the team around our product-led motion was around this idea that this is hypothesis-driven and we're going to throw away work, right? One of my big mantras for years has been, don't fall in love with your ideas, because eventually, you know, you're going to throw them away. And I've worked with people who their ideas are brilliant because they came up with them and they fight for them to the death. And I'm like, you know, ideas are cheap, right? Throw them away. Let's agree that we're going to focus on what works and define what working looks like. And that, that I think is empowering, but it takes a little while to get people on board with that because they're, you know, people are, you know, enlightened self-interest. I, but I built this, I, I proud of it. Right. Oh man. Uh, it's funny because we years ago, our organization, we're more on the services side, but we, we did, we decided, we made the intentional decision to remove, um, deliverables from our contracts, which is a really like obscure mm-hmm. thought is that we're a services organization that has no deliverables in our contracts because inevitably we kept saying, here's the deal. Your idea as it currently stands sounds amazing. You are beautiful and your baby yeah. is cute, but it's going to change, right? By the time we get to the end, and and I don't know about you, but I don't want to be slowing down by change orders for the next six months, year, two years, five years, whatever it is. Instead, I want us to be moving closer to the customer, to the problem that we're trying to solve, to the result that we're trying to hit. And if we're doing that together, then you're going to see the value out of this relationship. Um, And we'll check in on the value of that relationship on a regular basis. Totally. 
but you know that's a great way to escape that i refer to as the tyranny of the sow yes. right like i'm in the sow says i can deliver this thing right here i'm going to deliver you know we all agree that that's not relevant but it's i got to deliver it otherwise i'm in breach right like like i i think it's a honestly it's a terrible way to build software um i just had i wrote an article about this on TechCrunch like a week ago and 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 how do you free yourself and be services should be as agile as product is and and so a big part of the what i'm working on today in my customer or chief experience officer role is how do i apply these principles into our services delivery so good so good okay i want to end on a high note because i think that we you know can we can talk about the challenges and there's things that are really difficult to do well but what are you excited about as you look forward what do you look look ahead to whether the it's your industry your company or maybe just your specific teams what's something that's getting you excited about the future so i think the thing that I'm most excited about right now is um, is we've sort of broken our you know one of the challenges I think we see in our in our market and commerce in general is the market's been conditioned to buy platforms, yeah. and um, you know and and I have a problem to solve and the way to get to that solution to that problem is I have to re redo all my technology right and that's a long cumbersome complex high risk project so. So we've actually embarked, we've been embarking for a while and we're bringing to market now this idea of unplatforming, mm. but you know, really it's about breaking it down into individual products because uh, you know, microservice-based architecture says, if I have a catalog problem, I'm gonna solve my catalog problem. If I have a promotion problem, I'm gonna solve my promotion problem. If I have a subscription problem, I'm gonna solve my subscription problem. And it's, you know, in effect, having our product reflect the commoditization in the market anyway, but now it's a much more value-driven conversation rather than a technology sort of re-platform piece. Um, and the reason I'm excited about it is, you know, the number of people that need to re-platform in a given year in the commerce market is actually relatively bet, small. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, it's burning platforms. I used to be on ATG or Oracle killed ATG or whatever it is. Um, now I can talk to anyone who has a commerce site because I solve problems for any commerce site, not just the ones that for the platforms that have been end of life. And so it's a big shift for us from a messaging demand gen, you know, even product development process point of view. Um, but I think it's the right thing for the, for a mature market like commerce. And so we're, I'm really bullish on it. And then that fits really well into the what we're doing in the product-led stuff because the product-led can be much more narrow in the problems it shows you you can experience solutions to very, very quickly. So um, if anybody is uh, interested, we have really cool product-led experiences on front end, like shop, shoppable landing pages and cat product catalog, interesting things you can do there. So definitely worth checking out. Well, I think you're bringing us in for the perfect landing. So I think this, first off, thank you. This is uh, really awesome to hear about the way that you're thinking about both the way your teams run and obviously how you connect that to having that, man, I, I, I want to start using the name of the person and like, how do we get down to mm -hmm. the role? And I think that's just such a simple like principle that anyone could take away and apply to their, the way they operate their teams uh, literally tomorrow. So I think that's fantastic. I want to roll out the red carpet for you. Where can people find you or your company or the things you're working on right now? Sure. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Beehouse. Um, so that so that's probably the easiest. I post a lot there. I also have a, uh, a, a page on Medium where I post all my blog posts. But uh, And then if you want to check out Elastic Path, um, 
obviously you can check out elasticpath.com, but if you want to check out our free trial, elasticpath.dev is our front door to our uh, our free trial experience. So I encourage you to go check it out if you're looking for commerce solve looking to solve commerce problems, if you will. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the episode today. And I really appreciate it. And I always like to say thank you to the people like you that are actually trying to do this intentionally good work because not everybody has to, I mean, you could, you could skate through, but it sounds like you're pushing into Mm -hmm. to really do it well. So thank you for, for coming on and thank you for sharing your insights. Great. George, thanks. Appreciate the, the opportunity to talk to you and to your audience. Awesome. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a design consultancy that helps forward-thinking leaders discover, understand, and execute on their greatest opportunities. Learn more at crema.us. Mm-hmm.